Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Is it worth it? The Film Review Podcast presents Road to the Oscars. Join me, David Long, on this journey as we talk all things Oscars before the big event, the 93rd Academy Awards, on Sunday the 25th of April, 2021. So sit back, relax and enjoy Road to the Oscars. Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 4 of Is It Worth It Presents Road to the Oscars. My name is David Long and I am your host. Thank you for joining me on this journey as we count down the days to the 93rd Academy Awards on the 25th of April 2021 in sunny Los Angeles, US of A. If you love film and especially if you love award season, then you, my friend, are in the right place. On today's episode, we have a huge amount to cover. Award season has already begun to take shape with the Golden Globes and the Critics' Choice Awards recently announcing their winners. However, now the Academy has announced their nominations, the Oscar picture is beginning to become much, much clearer. Finally, after months of speculation, we have our runners and riders, and the race for Oscars gold can really begin. On today's show, we will analyse the nominations in all their glory. Before we dive into the show, some important information from this year's nominations. The 2021 Oscars marks the first time an all-black producing team has been nominated for the Best Picture Award. Producers Shaka King, Ryan Coogler and Charles D. King were recognised for their work on Judas and the Black Messiah. The nominations also mark the first time two actors of Asian descent were nominated in the Best Actor category. 2021 is also the first year that two women have been nominated in the directing category. Chloe Zhao is nominated for her work on Nomadland and Emerald Fennell is nominated for Promising Young Woman. And finally, Viola Davis is now the most nominated black actress ever with four nominations and the only black woman with two Best Actress nominations. So, on the back of that information, let's crack on with the show and have a look at these nominees. It gives me tremendous pleasure to introduce my fourth guest on this series from the superb Mike, Mike and Oscar podcast. It's also Mike. Mike, how are you? I'm great, David. Uh, busy, but uh, happily busy, you know, because we got some fun nominations this year, man. I think, yeah, we uh, do. I think we're really kind of, you know, charged up about a lot of these fun <laughs> picks from the Academy, and that's not something we always say. So, mm. so yes, thank you, uh, thank you so much for having me on the show today. No worries, Mike. As you know, I'm a big fan of your work. We've had some really good interactions on Twitter, and I've, I've wanted to get you on the show for ages. We do have a lot to cover on today's show, but before we dive into that, please tell our lovely listeners a little bit about the Mike, Mike and Oscar podcast. What is it you guys do over at MM&O? 
Well, we're talk radio for movie fans, but in a podcast, uh, we make award season year round yeah. without the stuffiness. Those are <laughs> two two of our slogans. But yes, I mean this is this is our season. Uh, it's finally here. Yeah. We've reviewed the contenders in their own movie review episodes, uh, like you guys have done. We're mm. we're gonna devote individual shows to previewing each Oscars category from best picture yeah. on down the card. And, uh, and we do recap and reaction shows to all of the precursor awards from the, yeah. the Gotham's to the globes, to the choice uh, through the upcoming guilds, the rest of this month, uh, all the way to your wild and crazy BAFTAs that are about to happen <laughs> this April oh 11th, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a busy schedule. It's as busy as we've ever had, but we're loving, we're, we're having fun. Mike, that's fantastic. And just so our listeners know, where can they find all of your work? Yeah, thank you. We're we're Mike Mike and Oscar A N D Oscar on Instagram, Facebook, Reddit, and at Gmail. Uh, Mike Mike and Oscar I swear is nearing a launch date. I've been working <laughs> on it. I've been saying it's coming soon forever. Yeah, it's basically yeah. the next book of Game of Thrones right now. <laughs> I, since I since I started talking about it, since I've been pitching it, yeah, it's this it's the sixth book of Game of Thrones. It's the winds of winter of websites. But yeah. uh, I I think <laughs> I hope uh, it's coming soon. Otherwise, we're most active on twitter at mm and oscar a n d oscar so uh yeah you guys can find us apple google spotify wherever you may listen to podcasts so yeah thank you superb and dear listener please make sure you check out mike one and also mike's extensive selection of work so mike it's going to be a busy one should we crack on with it yeah let's go for it so, folks, it's our first episode since the Oscar nominations were announced on Monday the 15th of March, and me and Mike have so much to discuss. Uh, before we dive into the Oscar noms themselves, I think it would be good to have a recap of the award shows we've had so far. Uh, the Golden Globes and the Critics' Choice Awards have already taken place, and these often prove very informative, although not vital. Um, Mike, from the two major award shows we've had so far... What have been your highlights? And in light of Monday's nominations, who do you think were the biggest wins? Well, I think my highlights are when I'm surprised, pleasantly surprised uh, about some some winners that I really want to get these mm. awards that I really want to sweep. And Daniel Kaluuya this year from Judas and the Black Messiah is certainly one of uh, one of those Absolutely, guys. I yeah. mean, from Get Out, when we started the pod, I mean, he was a, an MMO favorite for us. So to see mm. him kind of running away with supporting actor right now, to see what that meant to Judas and the Black Messiah as a late-breaking contender for more nominations than yes. uh, I think most people thought, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I do think... The BAFTAs confirmed a lot of industry support for The Father and and then Mm. to another round, which both had great days this Monday as well. So the BAFTAs have uh, something to say, even though it was a strange year voting for the BAFTAs with the juries. Uh, Mm. But but something in my – you know, Mike and I always say at MMO, everything matters and then nothing matters, right? I mean these precursor (laughs) awards, you know, in in one way, one award can beget many more. You know, mm. one award can beget many more awards, but the critical awards usually influence the guilds, and the guilds usually the influ- influence the academies in certain ways. It's an ecosystem, as Ann Thompson puts it, but it's also yeah. a sequence of events. So there's there's cause and effect, right? So you know when 
one present voting body or one present vote, you know, gives future voters permission to agree with, mm. with them or disagree with them. You know, you got to go back and, and, and analyze it as, as Oscars pundits. So in a way it all matters in a way it doesn't because people mm. can veto those picks yeah. as well. So that that's the fun thing for me. I mean, it's why we cover award season year round and it's why I think Mike and I do a little less predictions and more conversation. That's what we yeah. really care about having the conversation and, uh, and yeah, that's what we're going to do today, too. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So let's have a little look at the nominations. Uh, as you guys said, this must be one of the busiest sort of times in your guys' calendar. The speculation is over, the nominees are announced, and the chaos, Mike, the absolute chaos of working out who is going to win can begin. Um, in light of the nominations that were announced, two quick questions, Mike, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Across all the categories, which was the most surprising nomination for yourself? And secondly, which was the biggest snub and the most notable omission? The, the biggest surprise, if I'm completely honest, is Pinocchio for costumes, but we'll get there. But I think <laughs> the biggest the biggest high-profile surprise is Thomas Vinterberg from yeah. Another Round for director. I had predicted him back on a couple other shows a couple mm. months back, but I chickened out recently to where I'm like, nah, he's not going to get in. Regina King, Aaron Sorkin, yeah. it's not going to happen. So I backed off of that, unfortunately. Otherwise... I had three snubs that sadly pained me uh, mm. quite a bit. Delroy Lindo is perhaps yeah. my favorite acting performance of the year from Defy Bloods. Everybody's been lamenting uh, what happened there. And Spike Lee's even done that campaign now. We mm. was robbed with the T-shirts and stuff. <laughs> uh, Dick Johnson is Dead. Dick Johnson is Dead yeah. was perhaps my favorite documentary on the year. I just moved it into that Kiss of Death number one spot yeah, on my yeah. list, and therefore I jinxed it. Uh, otherwise, One Night in Miami for Best Picture. I, you know, I thought of all the films I watched this year, and I watched hundreds, I, I thought that was, that felt like a Best Picture from the past. That felt like something mm. palatable to this Academy. It definitely had a, a resume that should have been there. So those three snubs, they, they definitely hurt more than most. Yeah, so there you have it, folks. Some big surprises and some big snubs. Thanks, Mike, for uh, summarising that. And that leads us nicely into the Oscar nominations um, themselves. And what we're going to do is we're going to do this in somewhat of a reverse order and focus on the undercard first. Um before finishing the show by focusing on the nominees for the biggest prize of the night, that coveted Best Picture prize. Um, Before we do that, let's take a look at the tally of the nominations. I think this is quite important. We had Mank with 10, Nomadland 6, Minari 6, Sound of Metal 6, Chicago 7 6, Judas and the Black Messiah 6, The Father Got 6, Promising Young Woman 5, Moraney's Black Bottom 4, News of the World 4, One Night in Miami 3, Soul 3, take a breath before i pass out (laughs) eight dual nominees mike another round borat two collective emma hillbilly elegies in there mulan pinocchio and tenor and 20 films um had the one nomination it might seem like a strange question mike with nomad with uh, mank getting 10 nominations but from mm-hmm. that list who do, who do you think was the biggest winner um on monday who, who who's happiest with with their oscar tally there in terms of the films themselves i think it's judas and the black messiah yeah. but in terms of the studios i would still say it should be netflix and mm. i think they're 
I think their uh, awards people are looking at this slate and look at looking at how they renovated so many projects because Mank bounced around the industry for years. Trial of Chicago Seven was an acquisition. They had many acquisitions this year. Defy Bloods, uh, I mean, it was it was something that was a passion project from Spike Lee. So yeah. I still think they should be really really proud of how yeah. many nominations this is. Thirty five mm. on the day if you count Sean the Sheep there. I think so. <laughs> I, I know I know Andrew and I were expecting maybe. 10 more and that was kind of yeah. bullish we were bullish on those but uh, Netflix uh, has still had a phenomenal day yeah, Netflix had uh, – we, me and Craig recently went on the Nomcast with the brilliant Andrew Morgan. Do check out mm-hmm. the Nomcast and all of his work. It's great. Um, and Netflix has won eight awards from 54 nominations. So I did a little bit of maths, Mike, um, and that's a 14.81% conversion rate. So of all the mm-hmm. Netflix nominees, 14.81% go on to win the Oscar. Now – if we follow that formula, then Netflix should win 5.1835 Oscars <laughs> um, come Oscar Sunday. So let's call it five. So the maths and the history suggests five. And I actually had it down for winning five um, wow. on, on my slate. So I won't go through those now, um, but I did have it down for winning five. If you want to know what five it was, do listen to the Nomcast. Um so yeah, yes. I think Netflix should be delighted. No, totally listen to the Nomcast Netflix original movie podcast. I'm often a guest on there, and yeah, you guys did a, a tremendous job, you and Craig, uh, on that show. Thank so, you yeah. so much. Um, so we've had a little look at the tally. What we're going to do now is we're going to dive in to the nominations themselves. Um, and the first nomin- the first category is documentary short subject, uh, and the nominees are. Colette, A Concerto is a Conversation, Do Not Split, Hunger Ward, and A Love Song for Latasha. Now, Mike, I'm going to make myself, um, I'm going to go on the record here and say I've not actually seen any of these. Um, have you Have you seen any of these? So I've seen two of them. Uh, mm. Concerto is a Conversation is something that will win over your heart. In 15 yeah. minutes, all of our it's, – it's wonderful. I think it's on YouTube via the New York Times, so you okay. can find that pretty easily. You can also find a love song for Latasha on Netflix, which is yeah. excellent. And, uh, yeah, I would recommend those two. We, I got to see the other three myself. Yeah, so I've not managed to catch these yet, but I know that um – you and Andrew were were rather upset. No speed cubers. <laughs> oh, it hurts! It hurts so much because we loved that movie. We loved it yeah. back from the spring. We loved mm. it. It's it's such a wonderful tale of friendship. I mean, got to yeah. go watch that anyway, people. Uh, and I think you said something was going to get burnt down. So I don't know if you started any afternoon activity yet or. <laughs> I quit smoking in September. Unrelated. Mm. I'm also not good with fire. So Mike, one <laughs> who knows me well. He said, I'm not allowed to burn anything, but I, uh, I should crush a soda can really hard. And maybe I'll yeah, do that just, at some point. Just stamp on that soda can and, and let <laughs> it know month. how angry you are. Um, so there you have it, folks. That, that was the nominees for documentary short subject. Nike, if we could have the nominations for live action short film. Yeah, Feeling Through, The Letter Room, The Present, Two Distant Strangers, and White Eye. Um. Again, I haven't seen any of these. Um, do you have any insight or thoughts into this category? I watched two uh, live-action short films on the short list. They really bummed me out. They were devastatingly sad, and I didn't go further. 
<laughs> so I stopped. So I no, I have not seen these yet. I will, Mike, and I will review them on our show. We usually do that kind of a week or two beforehand after we see them in theaters. But mm. uh, otherwise, you know, you can watch the Letter Room, which you can see on watch.topic.com. Mm. No, that's great. Um, obviously, if, if if you guys have an interest in live action short films, do check out Mike, Mike, and Oscar when they do um, go ahead and. Uh, review those. Uh, the next category is thankfully a category where I've seen a few of these animated short films. So the nominations for animated short film are Borrow, um, Genius Loci, If Anything Happens, I Love You, Opera, and Yes People. Um, and I'll kick off, Mike, by saying I've seen two of these and they couldn't be more contrasting. So I've mm. seen Burrow on Disney+, Plus, mm-hmm. which is this adorable little... I'm not sure if it... I don't know what it is. It's some sort of little creature. Um, yes. And he, and he burrows and he meets other little burrowing animals and they get into a, a hell of a mess and it's about six <laughs> minutes long. It's on Disney+. Plus. Um, I really, really recommend it. Me and Craig haven't reviewed it, but I will review it now. It is definitely worth it. Um, and the other one I've seen is If Anything Happens, I Love You, um, which is currently available on Netflix, which couldn't be more different to Borrow. Mm. Um, this this little animated short film really hit me. Like this was a powerful yeah. short with a really important message. Um, and it, I think it's about 12 minutes. And those 12 minutes obviously fly by, but the, the message is, is really powerful. Mike, what's, what's your take on this category? Um, what have you seen and, and what do you think maybe the front runner, that kind of thing? If anything happens, I love you is probably the front runner because yeah. it makes you cry in like seven minutes. And you're right. It's just, <laughs> it, it really gets you. It's, it's incredible. And, uh, I would be surprised at this point if I, I, I I've seen three of these. Uh, I've seen yes people, which is uh, adorable and funny. Uh, like Burrow is they're both crowd pleasers. Uh, yeah. yes people is from, uh, Iceland and, uh, there's just the word yes. Yeah. 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 The whole, yeah. the whole short. And it's, it's, it's really cute and really wonderfully animated. So I do think the Netflix film's the one to beat, but like I said, you know, we got to see the other two. Yeah, I don't at the moment there's no there's no betting odds on this on this category, so I can't tell you what's what? the favorite. But <laughs> I'm devastated by that. I've looked everywhere. No bookie will take my money on this category. <laughs> but I I would suspect if anything happens I love you would be the front runner just for the nature of the subject matter. Um, the next mm. uh, category is Mike. I've got to say, I've been so excited to to hear your thoughts on this category. <laughs> um, <laughs> regular listeners of MMNO will know that Mike has watched how many? Is it ninety? It's a lot, man. I didn't tally them up, but it's like eighty or ninety this year. Documentaries, yeah, yeah. Wow, unbelievable. So, Mike, <laughs> if we could please have the nominations for documentary feature, collective. Crip Camp, The Mole Agent, My Octopus Teacher, and Time. Um, Mike, I know you've watched an extraordinary amount of docs, as we said, <laughs> putting us to shame. I, I, I mean, are you happy with the ones that got in? I am happy with 
each of these five films. I do give them all a positive review. Uh, mm-hmm. My Octopus Teachers, uh, it's one of the, uh, that touches your heart as well. I yeah. love that octopus. I would die for that octopus. What a, uh, <laughs> what a brilliant little lady she was and yeah. what a smart creature. Uh, yes. Just I, you know, You're in awe of what nature did. And it is a human interest story there as well. The Mole Agent is a crowd pleaser. It's Again, it's going to touch your heart. It's about a spy in a nursing home, right? Oh, this wow. private detective hires this old man, this 80-something-year-old man, to spy on a client in a nursing home. And it's just absolutely adorable. Uh, that's in Chile, I believe. And mm. then, uh, you know, time is extremely important. It's about a mother and her kids and the, the father's getting out of prison or maybe, maybe not. Incredible collective is about the healthcare industry with unprecedented access to not only journalists, journalists but government. And I, mm. I just couldn't believe we got that uh, from from Eastern Europe. And then Crip Camp. Crip Camp is a heartwarming story uh, yep. for the for the you know rights of differently abled people in in America. And that's from the Obama's production company. So yeah, these these five are worthy. In any other year, I do have some snubs though somehow because there's so <laughs> many great. I mean. It's the year of the documentary there's so yeah. many great documentaries this year i mean f- from f- firstly i'll say that i've seen two of two of these documentaries uh my octopus P- teacher which is currently available on netflix just an incredible documentary this man befriends and uh, makes friends with an octopus and you just yeah. see this i mean the cinematography the, the 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 even the sound in that film is gorgeous um and then crip camp is a film that you should watch you know our podcast is called is it worth it and sometimes we say things demand a watch um and i think crip camp is one of those this incredible story about like you said people with disabilities fighting for justice fighting for equality um a really powerful documentary um mike you mentioned the snubs for you what 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 was snubbed here because i've got one um that i want to talk about and i think you're probably going to talk about the same one Dick Johnson is dead. Yeah. I would I would die for that octopus and that teacher. <laughs> I would die. I would die for Dick Johnson and uh, and his daughter, for that matter, who directed yeah. the film, film mm. Kirsten Johnson. So I love that movie. The critics love that movie, but that's The Kiss of Death. It was the critics' favorite. Mm. It won most, even over time. And yeah, it got uh, it got snubbed at the end of the day. Welcome to Chechnya is another uh, just uh, important documentary on HBO Max, HBO. Mm. Uh, I think everybody should see that. It's about – you know, it's about the systematic killing of uh, you know, homosexuals in areas of Russia right now. And it's about the underground oh, railroad that gets these people out. It's about heroes, real heroes mm. going and whistleblowers. And it's just it's such an incredible story. It gives me goosebumps right now just talking about Welcome to Chechnya. I did think, you know, it got snubbed, but it, it's also been praised quite a bit throughout the season. Um, all in the fight for democracy. Boy yeah. State, MLK, FBI, The Painter and the Thief. Those are probably my other favorite four if I have a top ten. But these are, you know, these movies are as good as any documentaries that have been nominated in the last ten years, kind of mm. since I've been really paying attention. And then we had other movies not on the short list: The Dissident, The Human Factor, Whirly Bird. Netflix has Rising Phoenix and Kiss the Ground, and then The Way I See It. So I'm, I'm listing them off because mm. there's just so many this year. Hopefully, you guys will slow that down, rewind it back, and go <laughs> check them out. <laughs> yeah. No. Um- Thanks, Mike, for that analysis. I've got to say, Dick Johnson is dead. I again is a hundred percent worth it. Um, I was really moved by that doc. Um, 
it's it'll break your heart it'll also make you laugh mm. at times it's and I felt so sorry for for the daughter who who directed this doc. I was really hoping that she was going to get that nod, um, but she didn't. And you'll be well. I'm pleased, Mike. Um, I've got some betting odds here, um, yes. <laughs> so I'm in my element. And it's interesting actually to look at the betting odds because um, you guys touched upon on your podcast what you thought would be the favourite and the front runner, and it turns out the favourite is time. Um, that mm. is the four to five bookmakers favorite collective is nine to four crypt camp 13 to two my octopus teacher eight to one and the mole agent is on the outside looking in at 20 to one so according to the bookmakers it's 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 not a heavy favorite but it is the favorite um do you agree with that mike do you think time's probably the one to beat here I do think this branch recognizes the filmmaking prowess of, of a particular nomination here. And Garrett Bradley, with that pristine black and white cinematography, mm. with the fact that she overlays the home video footage from 20 years of this family's life so beautifully, and the fact that it's such a story of a, of a heroic woman battling not only the system, but battling you know, just, just keeping her family afloat, and she does so with such a plum. I mean, I, I cannot root for a, su- a documentary subject more than her, so never yeah. mind the fact that it's impeccably well made, but yes, it's such a crowd pleaser. It's such a, you know, rise up and cheer kind of a film. So, yeah, I don't know. I really, I give up figuring out this category. <laughs> I just don't know. I, I would like to I think time, but time was the kind of that critical second favorite mm. now so does that make it the kiss of death in yeah. this scenario because you never know with these other nubs well i've got to say i'm rooting for crip camp in that uh in that category and come oscars mm-hmm. sunday i may have a few of my hard-earned pounds on crip camp we'll have to wait and see um, the next category we're going to take a look at is international feature film and the nominees are another round denmark better days hong kong collective romania the man who sold his skin tunisia and quo veda ada bosnia and herzegovina i hope i said that correctly um recent years mike we've had some runaway winners in this category with the likes of roma uh, and parasite um what's your thought on these selections another round might be that same runaway this mm. year based on the fact that it got the director nomination uh, I think yes. that's a huge composition award and a show of strength for another round. The BAFTAs loved another round. The European Film Awards showered another round with a bunch of precursor wins and awards for it. So I do think another round may be that bittersweet masterpiece mm-hmm. from Thomas Vinterberg, who went through hell this year. Uh, in his in his personal backstory, and he's rightfully so won so many people over and triumphed despite the heartache and and the grief that he's going through. So I do think that trapeze act behind the screen and, and, and on camera is something to celebrate. And that yeah, that's a movie to check out too. It's just on Hulu for American audiences right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, you know, Quo Vadis Aida. Uh, excuse me, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Either. That's, <laughs> that's a soul-crushing film, but it's so well made. That would probably be next up for me. I still I still think Collective's got a chance in both categories because it is so well done. It's my, it's my next rated film. Uh, and then Quo Vada Said is my third. I loved The Man Who Sold His Skin as well. That's, a, that's another crowd pleaser, by the way. And this mm. is a sad 
branch in a sad category. They only nominate sad films, but that's pretty damn pretty damn <laughs> fun. So check it out. Otherwise, Better Days, it's about bullying in Hong Kong, and oh, it'll make you so sad. You'll root for him. But it's a good movie as well. So they did mm. pick five good movies. I, I had some others, but yeah. Yeah, do you know what, Mike? It's fascinating there. You listed them sort of in the order of, of, of your preference. I do have some betting odds on this category. Another round is the one to three favourite, or as you guys would say in the States, minus 300, meaning you've got to <laughs> bet £300 or dollars to win £100. Quo Veda Ada, oh, I've said that wrong, but we'll roll, we'll, we'll roll with it, is <laughs> uh, three to one. Collective is eight to one. Better Days is 16 to 1. And if you fancy the man who sold his skin, that is 25 to 1. And people might think, why do I, why am I obsessed with the betting odds? It gives you a good idea of where, sure. um, people the the vegas the the bookmakers and 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 the betting public are expecting these awards um to go and another round is the favorite at one to three and i think you're absolutely spot on mike i think the reason that it's favorite is because of that director nom that's absolutely huge um and it's we'll we'll have to see come Oscars Sunday if if the favourite wins. Um, the next category we're going to have a little look at is original song. Uh, Mike, if you'd be so kind, what are the original song nominees? Yes, "Fight for You" from Judas and the Black Messiah. Music by Her, uh, performed by Her. H E R. Uh, Hear my voice from the Trial of the Chicago Seven. That's performed by Celeste Husevic. Mm. I uh, love that from Eurovision <laughs> Song Contest, uh, performed by My Marianne and Will Ferrell. Uh, EOC, aka Scene from the Life Ahead, uh, Diane Warren writing the lyrics for that one. Mm. Can she finally win? And Speak Now from One Night in Miami, which is uh, written and uh, performed by uh, Leslie Odom Jr. Okay, Mike. So the first question I've got for you is: Is this an expected five? Is is this what you were expecting? I got this category right. Five for five. Yeah. I never thought I would. <laughs> I said on my podcast, like, I'm least, I'm least confident in my picks for this one. But, I, you know, I don't know how, how I did compared to other people. I got 81 out of 103 noms right. Mm. So I'm like, I don't know, B minus C plus there, to be completely honest with it with everybody. Scott Feinberg, who I'm an acolyte of uh, forever uh, at the Hollywood Reporter. Yeah, I think he got like 86 right, 80, 87 okay. right. So, I mean, I, he's, you know, he's the best in the business. Did, so I, I thought I was close, but yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think this category is uh, you know it's got some big names in it. So was it expected? No, I kind of expected to be wrong because mm. of the snubs. Yeah, and what what were those snubs? Was there anything here that you think should have got in? Was there anything that was expected to get in? Yeah, turntables from Janelle Monet, all in the fight for democracy. Janelle no, Monet's a huge star uh, here yeah. in America. John Legends, Never Break from Giving Voice, uh, another huge star. I mean, the Oscars, that branch, is, they got to be salad. They got to be loving the fact that they could nominate them. And, and they didn't, unfortunately, this year, mm. but they have in the, in the past. So Eurovision Song Contest gets in over those <laughs> huge pop stars. Are you kidding me? So, yeah, it's I, I'm, I'm happy in a way. And I predicted it right. And I love all the songs from Eurovision, but I'm, I'm a little surprised. I've got to admit, so this is a bit of a guilty pleasure. Um, we reviewed Eurovision Song Contest on the main show. Um, <laughs> look, there was problems with that film, don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. But I, but but some of those songs, and Husevic, um, or My Hometown, I think it's called, it's an absolute banger. Like, you, I, I, I have played, I'm not going to lie, I have played this in my flat. I think it's a <laughs> banger. 
I'm not ashamed to say that I love this song. Um, in terms of Oscars chances, who's going to win? Um, well, best original song at the Golden Globes went to Scene, um, The Life Ahead, and Critics' Choice went for Speak Now, One Night in Miami. Um, can we read much into that, Mike? Obviously, two of the precursors have, have picked different songs. Um, you know, what, what, do, what, do, what do you think? Should we be reading much into that, or, is, or are the Oscars going to sort of take their own path? You have to, in a way. Uh, mm. I think my co, but I'll give you differing opinions. I think my co-host, uh, Mike One, loves the song from Judas and the Black Messiah. He thinks mm. it's the best song, and he's been predicting it for a while. I think, you know, I like you have a, the guiltiest <laughs> of pleasures with uh, all of the uh, Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire, Fire Saga, you know, playlist. I listen to that <laughs> a lot. Um, <laughs> EOC. From the life ahead, Diane Warren has been nominated 17 times, I think. So wow. this this is the longest overdue Oscar win for Diane Warren. And I do think the Golden Globes are nudging that song over the top. I love that movie, Andrew of the Nomcast, one of his favorite films of the year. Yeah. And I do think you know that Sophia Loren movie might get uh, its beautiful Italian original song there nominated. But, I mean, if we're looking at recent Oscars history, speak now when the movie star – you know when he play when he, when he sings the the key original song the nominated original song in the film that typically wins right i mean we've seen yeah. that recently when the subject of rocket man elton john won the award when mm. of course shallow from a star yeah. is born so that's been recent tradition so maybe that'll happen again with leslie odom but yeah no it's definitely a conversation yeah, and you mentioned A Star is Born. I, I don't know if you know, this is one of my favourite films. I thought that was robbed mm. at award mm. season. I was I was devastated um, to see A Star is Born not do very well. But those were the nominations, folks, for original song. And that leads us nicely into the next category, which is original score. Um, and there was a bit of a surprise here, but firstly, I'll give you the nominations for original score. They are The Five Bloods, Mank, Minari, News of the World, and Soul. And the first question for you, Mike, is The Five Bloods. What, what's happening here? Like, this, this, this wasn't expected, was it? So, no, it, it was not. The Five Bloods show, showed up in a few critical associations, but not really uh, in much of the precursors. And maybe maybe it's foolish uh, of us that we didn't pay attention to Terrence Blanchard, who was nominated for Black Klansman score mm. from the Spike Lee movie that was recently nominated uh, at, the Econ at the Oscars in 2018. Uh, he's a composer, mu musician, uh, and, and he's been doing scores for Spike Lee in the movie business for years. He's got a great resume, 75 credits on IMDb there. And in fact, this score to me from The Five Bloods felt like, you know, that late 80s, early 90s Vietnam mm. War movie score. It really was a callback to those. Did I think it necessarily fit in the movie? No, I, I, I'm on the record. I didn't, I didn't necessarily get the score of that movie, but I do think it's old timey feel and it's and this, the nostalgia of that played on this academy. News of the World is another kind of old timey score from a western, yes. and I do think the genre music plays with this branch, so mm. it, it worked for him. 
I mean, News of the World comes from James News and Howard, who I'm on the record as saying is, is one of my favourite composers. I absolutely adore his music, uh, the work that he does. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I did want to touch upon is obviously Mank is nominated and Soul is nominated, both from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Do you think there could be a little bit of cannibalization here? Um, you know, these two, they're, they're going to be splitting their votes, which is going to make it difficult for one of them to win potentially. They're my two favorite scores of the year, yeah. and I think Soul from Mike and I was our favorite. There mm. is the there is the non jazz portion from Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor, and then there is the jazz portion from John Batiste, the yeah. uh, late night show. I mean, another guy with an incredible career who's doing these original jazz compositions for the film that just blow your mind. And I do think they've they've got the momentum with Soul right now, but this has been my fear all year long that make and and they would cannibalize. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I do think James Newton Howard has some supporters in this academy. I do think film Twitter is going wild over the Minari score of late. And I do think Mm. Terrence Blanchard has been knocking on the door recently. He comes in uh, with, with that late nom in 2018. So yeah, this category might be more wide open than I don't, I don't want to say too much to you because you might throw money on it, but I do think it might be more, Wide open than we think right now. Well, there's, um, there's, I've, I've looked. There's, there's no betting on original score yet. <laughs> oh, there, thank God. There, 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 there will be betting closer to Oscars Sunday. All I can <laughs> say is, Soul won both Critics' Choice and yes. Golden Globe. Um, again, you know, it, it means everything. It, it means nothing at the same time. Like you said, <laughs> um, it's, it's confusing. Mike is for me, like being a big Oscars fan, I pace up and down my flat sometimes thinking this must win. This can't be beat. This must get nominated. And more often than not, I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> so am I buddy. So am I, but last it's- year Hilda swept from Joker and then years mm. pre- previous, you know, the, the H the press, the critics have totally whiffed on picking the eventual winner. So there, again, there's precedent to support both both sides. Yeah, so that was the original score nominees. We're now going to move on to best visual or the visual effects category. Mike, could I have the nominees? Yeah, Love and Monsters, The Midnight Sky, who had its score snubbed, by the way, from Desplat, uh, Mulan, <laughs> The One and Only Ivan, and Hennet. Yeah. Um I mean, looking at this uh, this category for me, like there's a standout winner, and 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 surely it's Tenet. Like, I mean, they blew stuff up, then they revert. I know you make this joke, Mike. <laughs> Do it again. Come on, we want to hear it. It's very important to me. They blew it up. They reversed it. I can only comment on what my eyes have seen, David. My my eyes saw a movie, get, a, a building get blown up and get it get put back together and then they get blown up again. I am in awe <laughs> of these practical effects because they're blowing they're blowing buildings up. But they're, they're, yeah, they're doing camera tricks with it. So I do think practical effects have played on the Academy in recent years. 1917, First Man, you know, the, the, that matters to them. Mm. They're not necessarily going to go for the CGI every year, even though they've gone for that as well with The Lion King and mm. The Jungle Book uh, yeah. da- da- with noms and wins. So I'm wondering what will happen this year. This is definitely a, a, you know, a situation where we got practical effects versus CGI. So it's interesting. Mm. 
And for you, was there was there any obvious omissions here? I mean, listening to your podcast, obviously Mank, um, people might think Mank visual effects, but ex- sort of explain to our listeners the, the confusion that there could have been there with that category, because if in well, not in theory, you know, Mank, the visual effects in Mank were, were incredible. It blew my mind when my co-host told me there's a featurette out there saying that all of the backgrounds in Mank is VFX, and mm. I wonder if I really wonder if you know the Academy knew that. I'm sure the branch knew that. Mm. I just yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if people were confused. Where do you give the credit? What's VFX? What's not? I wonder if people just kind of shooed it away. They didn't think black and white VFX would were worthy. Mm. Or yeah, I mean these these other this, the CGI work on Love of Monsters is incredible. Uh, Mulan didn't work for my TV. So maybe yeah. that's a problem. Maybe that's a me problem. Maybe I need the 4K. Uh, the one and only <laughs> Ivan was incredible in this, the Midnight Sky I saw in theaters. And yeah, that, those effects were tremendous. So I'm with I'm with those nominees. To me, welcome to Chechnya. Those effects were so important to the story that yeah. uh, that documentary was so important to a lot of people. I wanted it to get get in here. Soul, Bloodshot, Birds of Prey, the rest of the shortlist. You know, I th- those are typically in the contention, but I, you know, I, I was surprised, uh, I guess. Well, Bloodshot and Birds of Prey were, were typical, but Soul yeah. as a animated film was not typical, atypical. I was really like, what would that have set in terms of a precedent with animated films? Obviously they did a lot in the computer there mm. to make New York city look like New York city and to make yeah, heaven look incredible. like something we would, yeah, we would believe is, is heavenly. Right. So <laughs> yeah, this is, this is an incredible category this year. It was a fun shortlist to follow. And now you have tenant with a showdown with four CGI effect effects movies. Yeah, I mean, the Critics' Choice was won by Tenet, so no betting on this category. I can't tell you what the front runner is, but for me, um, it, it probably would be Tenet. I mean, I think the, the effects in Tenet, I saw that um, during the pandemic, there was a brief t- a brief time, Mike, where cinemas reopened. I managed to see Tenet in IMAX, and the first time, I watched that film five times. Mm. <laughs> I, t- I, took it, I took it really seriously. I wanted to really take a dive into that movie, but the first time in IMAX I was blown away and it was loud and I mean really loud and that brings us on to our next category which is sound just just sound Mike um (laughs) used to be two categories which I know you did a lot of um studying in to try and understand the difference between what is it sound mixing and sound editing to no avail no avail So the the Academy has made it nice and simple for us, and now it is literally just sound. Um, and the nominees for the sound category are Greyhound, News of the World, Soul, Sound of Metal. Uh, and Mank and Manc. there, you missed Mank, yeah. I missed Mank there, my apologies. Um, Mike, what's your thoughts on this category? Yeah, this is a, this is a loaded category. I do think... The sound in these in these movies are important to these movies. Mank, you got that old timey nineteen forties film yep. throwback. Yeah, they're playing tricks on you to make. I mean, David Fincher is a maestro uh, in, on the technical side of thing. That's why Mank has ten awards. Greyhound war movies do really well here. And I'll yeah. be honest with you, the Greyhound visual effects looked a little CGI. So the fact that they did so well with the sound to, to make you believe everything, especially on our TVs, like I wanted to see that in the theaters, unfortunately, yeah. or fortunately, we got to see it at, at, during the pandemic on Apple TV plus, but 
yeah, news of the world. I mean, I'm hearing cows everywhere mooing, neighing. You hear nature in there. I mean, it's it's really good. It's big time Hollywood, right? Right there. And then if you ever watch, like Mike and I, we did the Pixar uh, Pixar series rewatch series on our shows, like twenty something yeah. episodes, and we watched all their sound designers like taking little baby shoes on the featurettes and pitter pattering them on like a, a, a desk, and that, that's how they get these sounds for for the Toy Story characters or something. So obviously they're doing incredible things with soul sound mix sound editing and mixing. Well, now I got them confused again there, David. But <laughs> look, I mean, the sound of metal is probably the favorite. It's the punditry favorite right now because it's so integral to the plot and sound design yeah. is doing something that it hasn't done as a narrative storytelling device in a while because the character does go go deaf that's in the, the in, that's in the trailer so it means mm. a whole hell of a lot to that story yeah no brilliant analysis there i mean it's some of the notes i had greyhound comes through we we were hot on this movie sound design like you said some of the the, the, the visuals maybe weren't quite as good as you would expect, but the sound that you got from that movie was incredible. One thing I wanted to say, listening to your guys' show, was really interesting. No Nomadland. And does this mm. fit into a puzzle theory, Mike? Is this a sign of weakness for Nomadland? For those of us who think Nomadland won't win Best Picture, was a lack of a nomination here important, <laughs> or am I just insane? You might be clinging to straws at this point because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if sound, if sound is a technical slight against Nomadland, then uh, the fact that it was close and didn't get nominated, yeah, it could show a slight sign of weakness from part of the branch and obviously – or part of the mm. Academy. And obviously we know the entire Academy votes for Best Picture at the end of the day. So the yeah. fact that Nomadland doesn't have 10 nominations like Mank, that does matter a little bit. The question mm. is – you know how much uh, at the end of the day, Nomadland to me is not a technical yeah, uh, film. It's not that technical masterpiece. It doesn't need to be, even though it's very muscular in the editing. And Chloe mm-hmm. Zhao deserves credit there, as we'll talk about. But I think, I think, yeah, you're clinging to straws at this point in the race. But we're about <laughs> to find out, man. We're about to find out. The guilds are gonna vote, and they're gonna yeah. vote soon with the uh, the PGA in particular. So, oh. do the, does the industry back Nomadland the same way as the critics do? We're gonna find out. Yeah, you you mentioned that PGA. That PGA is absolutely huge. Um, it, it could shake things up massively. I, I said on the uh, on the nomcast, if um, you know, if Nomadland wins the PGA Best Picture, you know, game set match. In my opinion, put mm. a fork in it, it's done. Um, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, Nomadland would be almost impossible to beat come Oscars Sunday. So there you have it, folks. They were the nominations for just sound um, and the next category we have is makeup and hairstyling um mike if you'd be so kind to give our listeners the nominees emma hillbilly elegy ma rainey's black bottom mank and pinocchio um and i suppose my first question for you mike would be here you know any surprise picks for you here anything that stands out that made you go oh my goodness what's happened here I think I got four out of five. Emma was a little surprising because the BAFTAs did not pick it. That jury there, yeah, as far as I shocking. remember, 
Yeah, they didn't pick it, but I guess, you know, the beautiful hairstyling. I mm. wonder how much the makeup was involved uh, in some of it, but a gorgeous hair. I mean, Anya Taylor-Joy, my God. I mean, I'm, I'm turning into a foo-foo man as a film pundit now because I love <laughs> hair and I love uh, dresses. And I just – I never really paid attention to this as like yeah. a, a, a bro in my former life. But yeah, now, I mean, I, yeah, I'm taken aback by that. I mean, Hillbilly <laughs> Elegy, I was rooting against Hillbilly Elegy yeah. because I don't want – Glenn Close to win the Razzie and the Oscar. I don't want her to win for this because I'm such a Glenn Close fan. And this is that second nomination that empowers yeah. her to win with the Academy. We all know those stats about the fact that a lone nominee has a hard time winning. So, yeah. no, I mean, Pinocchio, Mank, Ma Rainey. Ma Rainey's probably still the favorite. Those were expected. Yeah, no no birds of prey here, Mike. That that did surprise me. Obviously, we reviewed that on the main show. And that film is, is full of hair and makeup. And was that a, a big grizzly? <laughs> yeah, a little grisly in terms of the uh, the face effects in that film, mm. and I, I kind of wondered if it would have been too like a little disgusting because there's wounds and stuff happening, especially early on in that film. And I wonder if that branch was just like ew, and maybe that's it. Yeah. At the end of the day, I mean, then again, they nominated Heath Ledger, and he had all these kind of yucky things involved with his mm. face too. But yet, Mike One was very surprised not to see clown makeup nominated here after it had been <laughs> yeah. so many years in a row. Yeah. Um. <laughs> In terms of who's going to win this category, uh, there's no betting. I've got. To, I think it's between Hillbilly Elegy and Ma Rainey. Like, uh, there's something about Hillbilly Elegy being a two-time nominee. It's taken a very similar route to the Iron Lady, actually, which I think was um, Meryl Streep got nominated in, in an actress category and it got hair and makeup. Um, Hillbilly Elegy. That film annoys me um, because <laughs> I I just want to, on the record, I am a huge Glenn Close fan. Um, mm. I thought her performance in The Wife was sensational. Um, I was shocked on Oscar mm. Sunday when Olivia Coleman won. Glenn Close was 1 to 20. She was, you know, the bookmakers had given her that award and Olivia Coleman won. We'll, we'll get on to the Olivia Coleman Glenn Close situation later, but for me, it's between Hillbilly Elegy and Mulraney's Black Bottom. Mulraney's um, Black Bottom won Critics' Choice, so you would think—I'm um, not saying it is the front runner—but you would think that Mulraney's Black Bottom has got a good chance of winning that award. Um, the next category, Mike, is one that's I've, I've learned from your show is really, really important for that Best Picture. Um, chances and I'm, I'm going to ask you a question about that shortly um but firstly the nominees for film editing are the father nomadland promising young woman sound of metal and the trial of the chicago seven um and like i said mike listening to your show i think i'm correct in saying that the editing category is really important when it comes to best picture just how important is this edit editing category in terms of your best picture chances? So in the past, and just in theory, I mean, editing is another composition award. Directors have hands in the process. The, the above-the-line people uh, take take a large role in the process as well as the ace Eddie approved uh, editors. So this is 
you know, I mean, this is cinema in a nutshell. This is movie making in a nutshell. Mm. I mean, the editing things together if, uh, is, is all important. The montage is all important. So something like Nomadland here to win for best picture director editing, it could all be interwoven. If they want to shower Chloe Zhao with awards, this yeah. is how and this is where you do it. Uh, I don't necessarily know uh, if this is her best chance for an Oscar on the night. I do think that there are some some movies that have been awarded. Uh, elsewhere, like you said, Sound of Metal, Trial of Chicago 7, they tied. Uh, Sound of Metal, obviously, you get the music montages and you, and you have some very important uh, other uh, scenes where, again, the editing is, is, is masterfully done. And to me, The Child of Chicago 7 was the best edited, best paced film of yeah. the year. I don't necessarily know if they get uh, credit for it though here yeah. so I wonder if Sorkin would have gotten credit in the screenplay category so again this is Oscar puzzle theory coming mm. into play where do you give these auteurs in particular where do you give them the credit Can, if you're not giving it to them in screenplay or in picture or director you could come back here and give them editing credit or like when, when you see a runaway you do see things start to stack up with the editing as an additional pick so Chloe Zhao gets this one early in the night Oh boy, look look for uh, Nomadland to to keep going. Yeah, I think that's that's what you say is really important there. I think, like you said, if Chloe Zhao gets that editing nom early, um, I can tell you from following the markets, her price for Best Picture will, will tumble. If The Trial of the Chicago 7 was to win film editing, that would be really, really big for its sure. Best Picture chances. Um, the next category is not so important, but it's a it's it's a nice category. It's a it's a frou frou category, and uh, yes. I mean my my costume at the moment. I'm wearing as you guys would call them sweatpants <laughs> and a hoodie. Um, <laughs> same same year. <laughs> I don't think I'd be getting nominated in this category. But Mike, the nominees for costume design are. Emma from Alexandra Byrne, Mank from Trish Shum- Somerville, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom from the 89-year-old Anne Roth, yeah. my goodness, uh, Mulan from Bina Desjolaire, and Pinocchio from Massimo Cantini Parini, a name after my own heart <laughs> and my own genetics. Um <laughs> Fantastic, Mike. You know, for me, um, Mulraney won the Critics' Choice. um, And for me, this looks like Mulraney's category um, to lose, really. I've got no odds on this category. Um, But I I just think Mulraney, it it, it works. As as you said, um, four-time Oscar nominee and one-time winner, Anne Roth. Um, She's now a five-time nominee. And I, I... mentioned this on my podcast my podcast this podcast what am i talking about (laughs) Um, (laughs) i mentioned it on this podcast in our review of ma rainey's black bottom in that opening scene in that tent when you had all those people with all those different costumes Anne roth went round and individually spoke to all of these people explained their costume the historical importance of it i thought the costumes in ma rainey were absolutely brilliant um i think it's ma rainey's to lose what's what's your take on this category mike i know you're quite happy to see Emma in there, I believe. I am. And that's where I'm going to go with this because yes, Ma Rainey, the costumes are brilliant. They do tell stories with the costumes, with the Mm. shoes in the film. It's important. And like you said, you got a first act where you're seeing the big spectacle where you're on the street before you get into the chamber piece where you're, you got the montage, you got the performance within the performance. And then you got, you know, the, the play essentially and the adaptation of the play where the everybody's in one costume from then on. Now, is it a quality versus quality, a quantity art? 
argument there with Anne Roth and these other nominees. Because if that's the case, then, yeah, I mean, Emma, how many dresses are in Emma? How many times has the Academy gone back mm. to the British period piece, to the Jane Austen film, etc., and given movies like that these wins? Now, a diversified Academy may not necessarily uh, just have that same bias to the, I guess, the Caucasian, the most Caucasian pick ever in Emma. <laughs> <laughs> or... You know, something like Mank or, you know, so we have we have some diverse selections here. Mulan, you got some ancient Chinese garb that, that really means so mm. much to that culture. You never know. You might see that here. Ma Rainey, obviously, uh, that, that to the American culture. So now we have we have other options. And you're right. Ma Rainey's the leader, but Ma Rainey not has has not had to go against Emma necessarily mano y mano yet because mm-hmm. Emma is kind of coming from that outside lane right now yeah. where it's yeah ba- BAFTAs but no it's not involved with the guilds necessarily or all the costume guilds so mm-hmm. or both the costume guilds excuse me so yeah I mean this is a situation where Emma might upset Ma Rainey if it, if it's if it's as strong as I think it should be I guess because it's a, it's glorious and I'm so Caucasian it's not funny yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I have um. I have uh, Emma in second, uh, Mank in third, and then Milan and Pinocchio sort of bringing up the rear. There's no betting yet on this category. I can't tell you what the market favourite is. But what I can tell you is that we are incredibly thankful and grateful to all of our patrons. Uh, we really appreciate everything that you give to us to help us keep this podcast going. If you're interested in becoming a patron, have a little listen to this ad. We interrupt this broadcast or visit Worth It the Film Review Podcast for an important announcement. If you're enjoying the podcast, we would like to remind you that you can now become a Patreon supporter for as little as $3 a month. This helps the podcast to continue to grow as well as offering the potential for bonus content and Is It Worth It merchandise. Your support helps the podcast stay alive. So why not become a Patreon supporter today? Head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash Is It Worth It Podcast. So once again, a massive thank you to our Patreons. And that brings us on to our next category, which is production design. And the nominees are The Father, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, News of the World, and Tenet. Um, I'm just going to throw a really broad question out there. What's, what's your thoughts on this category, Mike? You know, is, is it Manks to lose? I guess you would have to think so because they didn't give them credit in VFX. But again, are they unaware? Yeah. I mean, look, the Mank is the that has the densest uh, a production design and certainly set design. Right, the set designers guild mm. love it as well as the actual building of you know the sets. But the you know obviously they're putting up picture frames and they're decorating San Simeon. They're decorating. Uh, every single uh, locale in that film, like it's 1940, you know, so it, it's a big deal. The period piece aspect of, of Mank, News of the World, they rebuilt the Old West 
Old West Texas, <laughs> you know, so that's big Hollywood filmmaking, right? Yeah. So you never know. I think the father is the, has the storytelling device. I mean, the fact that they're just changing up the scenery, changing up the wallpaper and the pictures throughout yeah. that movie to show his dementia, to show how confused he is, and to make that such a psychological thriller, it matters. Yeah. And then Tenet, Tenet, again, big budget Hollywood effects. So uh, Ma Rainey, I, I wonder... I wonder if that'll get it here because again, you got like ten minutes of big budget Hollywood effects, but then you got a play, you got a stage, you got a, a, a you know chamber piece in a way. So that that would probably be my fifth. Yeah, I mean the interesting thing is Mank, Mank, sorry, Mank. Uh, I'll, I'll get it out. Mank <laughs> won production design at the Critics' Choice, so it's won one of those big precursors and I think that sets it up pretty well I think you've analysed and studied that category brilliantly there Mike and given us a, an understanding of the production design and the production values on all of these films and I and I, I think the production values on all of them are, are fantastic um, mm. but for me um, I just think like you said there's this confusion Mank misses out on visual effects but what they did with Mank what they created with Mank was something you know I, I often say it was I think I said on the main show it was like I was in a time machine you know I was I was taken back to that era I was immersed in that era um, and I thought they did a great job in there um and that leads us nicely on to our next category, from looking at production design to looking at the visual values of a film, and that's cinematography. Uh, Mike, if we could have the nominees for cinematography. Judas and the Black Messiah by Sean Bobbitt. Mank by Eric Messerschmidt. News of the World by Dariusz Wolski. Nomadland by Joshua James Richards. And The Trial of the Chicago Seven by Fadon Papadomichael. Or Papa Michael, excuse me. Fantastic. Um, this is an interesting category, and for me, I see Nomadland uh, as the front runner. I think so. I, if you want to know my views on Nomadland, listen to the main show. But for me, Nomadland visually, um, they made incredible use of that golden hour, that sunrise, that sunset. Mm. Um, it's a real character-heavy piece. It's a character study. And visually, the film is very, very immersive. It's it's gorgeous to look at. Um, I think the cinematographer there has done a fantastic job on on no on Nomadland. Where where do you stand on this on this category, Mike? Any any surprise nominees here? I mean, Judas getting a nomination in cinematography. That's that's big for Judas. It's a show of strength, no doubt about it. And I thought I, I thought the cinematography from the open. Opening camera movement, getting into the bar, following Lakeith Stanfield's Bill O'Neill character, getting into that bar and over his shoulder. I mean, again, muscular camera movement. Mm. And then they have some just paintings, you know, when, when they get into that final speech from Fred Hampton and, and the backdrop of that. And oh, my God, to show the whole crowd and to show how stirring his speech was, it was it matters so much. I, uh, I think Nomadland's. Magic hour, magic shots, you know, mm. collection there. It does matter so much. It is, it is something where, you know, if, if being on, you know, film sets back in the day, not, not yeah. so much anymore, but understanding that they're waiting around all day for those shots and then they get them. <laughs> My goodness, what, a, what, a, what an array of magic hour shots. And she did this with the writer. She did this, uh, some, yeah. from uh, songs my brothers taught me. I mean, she's had a career of shooting the sunsets of North Dakota, of the Dakotas. Yeah. 
So it's, it really is uh, masterful cinematography with Joshua James Richards. I, I enjoyed the, the cinematography of The Trial of Chicago 7 and Mank, the two big Netflix productions, even though yeah. one was Paramount. Uh, and then, yeah, News of the World. You got some aerial shots in News of the World. Gorgeous, yeah. That was just just gorgeous, like you say. So, uh, yeah, I think I think this is a very competitive category uh, in terms of the merits. Obviously, Nomadland has the momentum, though. Yeah, as you said, Nomadland does have the momentum. It won cinematography uh, at the Critics' Choice. No betting for this category, but I would imagine that Nomadland would be the front runner. Um, a slightly different angle now as we move on to animated feature. Um, I've seen a few of these, uh, most of these films, and there's one that's somewhat bizarre, but we'll we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll come on to that. Uh, and the nominees for animated feature are Onward. Um, which comes from Pixar, Over the Moon, Netflix, a Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, Netflix, <laughs> Soul, Pixar and Wolfwalkers, Apple TV Plus. Um, to me, this is a one-horse race. Um, I think Soul is winning this category. Um, Soul won the Golden Globe. Um, was that when they shouted, Sow? That was Tracy Morgan's Sal. I don't know if he was being funny or if he just misread it, but it was it was kind of funny. And yeah, it's caught on. It's like a a, a meme now. <laughs> yeah, I, I I was actually following the Globes on Twitter. We don't get a, a a live showing of the Globes, so I was seeing all these people making jokes about it. And then I saw the video. If you haven't seen the video, check it out. But for me, um, I mean, a Sean the Sheep movie, Farmageddon. I I will confess, I haven't seen this. I believe Craig has seen this. Um, I I can't really comment, but I don't know if it's Shaun the Sheep movie Farmageddon is uh, Oscar worthy, but it gets in. But what's your thoughts on this category, Mike? You know, is it um, is it souls to lose? Well, I, I would think so. I, I do know that Wolf Walkers had a lot of critical momentum, uh, certainly in the pre- precursors. And I was wondering if that was hurting Soul's ultimate chances at Best Picture, because sometimes if the Academy thinks that Soul has to duke it out in its in its own animated film category, why are we then you know lifting it up into Best Picture? We've seen that happen before with Cold Wars, with other films that you know probably had more momentum, more grassroots campaigning going on than we thought. Now, a Sean the Sheep movie, Farmageddon. I would say that I think the animation is gorgeous. I mean, the stop motion claymation stuff. I mean, it really is incredible. I I don't get that movie. Maybe that's a kids thing. Kids love it. Kids they do they do really well. Uh, Yeah, I don't. I liked Wallace and Gromit. I liked I liked the Mm. Curse of the Were Rabbit when that was nominated. I just I don't get this one. This it's kind of silly. There's an alien sheep. It's a Farmageddon, mm. <laughs> literally. So, yeah. Over the Moon was another one that just got two kids too fast for me. I mean, there's just po- one pop song after another. I'm just too old, David. I'm too old for those <laughs> movies to work on me. They got nuts. I like an Onward. I like a Pixar. I like an Apple TV. I'm getting an old fogey guy in the balcony thing going <laughs> with these animated films. But, yeah, I, ho- I would hope Soul wins. But yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say it's sewn up because Soul did not overperform like we thought. It did not yeah. get into the business. Best Picture category, like we hoped. It's my favorite movie of the year, to be honest with you. It's Mike's as well. We agree this particular year that Soul is the, is our favorite, but necessarily is it is it, it does it have to win? Because I don't know. Wolf Walkers is beloved by critics, and it does seem overall that I think the critical opinion mattered to Academy members this year. Yeah, um, 
I think Seoul is the front runner, like we said, it did win that Golden Globe. I just wanted to say onward for me in a different year. If you take Seoul away, yeah, I think right. onward would, I loved it. would would have a real chance. I we reviewed it on the main show. I thought it was a brilliant film, um, really powerful. The ending had me sort of, you know, the the, the lip quivering and the, and the, and the little tear coming down. Um, the very few films get me. I'm, I'm a bit of a <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm dead inside, Mike. <laughs> I, I have no soul, it. and it takes <laughs> it takes a real moving piece of filmmaking to get me on the verge of tears. And Onward had me choked up. Yeah. Um, I thought Onward was brilliant, but for me, Soul is the one to beat. Um, and look, hey, I don't know, Sean the Sheep. Congratulations to everyone involved in that film. You know, you can say Sean the Sheep is an Oscar-nominated film, which is whatever way you look at it, pretty cool. Um, something else that's pretty cool is the adapted screenplay category. Um, a fascinating category um, for anyone who, who, like myself, who's really into the the meat on the bone, the the writing behind a film. That that screenplay is so important. Mike, what are the nominees for adapted screenplay? Borat subsequent movie film screenplay by Sasha Baron Cohen and like 10 other people. Yeah. We have The Father, <laughs> Christopher Hampton and Florian Zeller, director there. Nomadland by the director Chloe Zha. We have One Night in Miami from Kemp Powers, who also co-directed and wrote Soul. Uh, and then we have The White Tiger from Ramin Barani. Um, so looking at this category, I would say that there's three – nominations that I was expecting and then there's there's two Mike that are a little bit different and that's Borat 2 and The White Tiger um what what are your thoughts on those two getting in adapted well I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was the assumed nominee for a Mm. while there and I think like Ann Thompson said early on in the season they gave credit away from Ruben Santiago Hudson, who adapted that, to August Wilson because it's such revered subject matter. And maybe they didn't realize that Ruben Santiago Hudson, you know, he did adapt that movie very in a very muscular way. Uh, and yeah. that, that composition is really is really well done, in my opinion, from George C. Wolfe and Mr. Hudson there. So I, I'm a little dismayed at the fact that Ma Rainey didn't get in here. It's definitely an indicator of why, you know, Ma Rainey did not ultimately get a Best Picture nomination. But yeah, the White Tiger, the White Tiger is a rough story to pull off. I mean, that that character is, you know, he's he's doing some bad things, man. That's a rounded character. There's some issues with, you know, any person would have with any character (laughs) in that movie. I mean, there's some effed up things going on. And so so is the the case with Borat, too. Uh, I think they the (laughs) fact that. Well, look at listen. They wrote the pandemic into that story, so there's a yeah, high degree yeah. of difficulty. I'm just a little surprised it got in at the end of the day. I wanted to pick it, but it got in at the end of the day, uh, despite the fact that there's so much, you know, comic uh, improvisation going yeah. on. There's so much that Maria Bakalova and Sasha Baron Cohen are probably performing in the moment. Never mind, never mind writing on the page. Uh, yeah. So that, that was a surprise to me. You know, even still, I think Nomad Lance Chloe Zha has been taking it so far, and it's and she's the one to beat. I prefer Kemp Powers' screenplay. I thought he wrote the hell out of that one night in Miami, but uh, and and you you can even make the argument for The Father. I mean, that's a balancing act right there, too. I just saw that film and it's a psychological thriller. It's a a crushing drama. It's, It's incredible. Yeah, some really interesting points there. Like you said, Nomadland does have that momentum. It won Best Adapted Screenplay at Critics 
next choice. And I do have some betting odds for this category. And it's unsurprising to see Nomadland at the front of the betting, one to four, or as you guys in the States would say, minus 400. The father comes in at five to one, one night in Miami, seven to one, the white tiger, 25 to one, and Borat's subsequent movie, 25 to one. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that Nomadland is the favorite, the likely winner, but don't rule out the father or one night in Miami. Those two films do have chances, but the momentum and the market would suggest that Nomadland will win adapted screenplay. What about original screenplay? Um, Again, a really fascinating category. Uh, And the nominees for original screenplay are uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, Screenplay was by Will Burson and Shaka King. Um, Minari, Lee Isaac Chung. Promising Young Woman, Emerald Fennell. Sound of Metal, uh, the screenplay was by Darius Marder, Abraham Marder. Um, We've got The Child of the Chicago 7, Aaron Sorkin. So you've got Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, what would you say here, Mike? Mank being the biggest, uh, the biggest shock here, missing out? A shock, an absolute shock. Uh, that, that was the, uh, yeah, I, I forgot to mention that at the top of the show. I mean, the fact that Jack Fincher's screenplay, his yeah. posthumous screenplay, that father-son narrative to this uh, to Hollywood story, literal Hollywood story, the fact that... Uh, the highs of that screenplay, the scenes that are just so good in Mank, did not yeah. get this movie a nomination. On the one hand, it did it did surprise me, but on the other hand, the composition of Mank, the the, the biggest problem I had with it are some of the story movements. And I do think that movie is a bit inaccessible because there is a political narrative in the center of that film that kind of derails its pacing. It derails its, its, its narrative momentum, I would say. And you're trying, you have to watch it a bunch of times to figure it out. At least I did. I'm, I'm not the most, uh, I, I have trouble with narrative. Sometimes I had to watch tenant a bunch. I had to watch, uh, the, the Mank a bunch and neither one of those films are in original screenplay. I, I do think because they were puzzles, Never mind puzzle theory p- uh, picks here. Yeah, and also a big nomination for Judas and the Black Messiah. I think that's that's showing some strength here. Um, yeah. What's your thoughts on Judas getting in? That's 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 it's huge for Judas. It's yeah. huge, and I do think it's it's got a shot because I, I was I, you know upon rewatch when studying Judas and the Black Messiah, I just think it's so much more complex a screenplay mm-hmm. than I thought originally. And I you know I give it a lot of credit. I do think if you're sleeping on that story and on how brilliant it is. Don't uh, study that film. It's worth it. Mike and I did, and it, it, it meant a lot to us. Yeah, like you said, I do think Promising Young Woman or and, and Trial of Chicago Seven they've won awards up till now. But like, yeah. as in terms of wide open categories, I feel like this should be a wide open category at the end of the day. Sound of Metal and uh, its screenplay hits you emotionally so hard, especially with with writing in uh, a Paul Racy character the way they did. I think Minari. I think that plays like literature. Mm. I mean, uh, literature on the silver screen, and I'm I'm I, I'm in awe. I know my co-host doesn't necessarily feel as well, like about Minari the way I do. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm eager to rewatch that one, and then yeah, the highs of the Trial of Chicago Seven, the highs of Minari uh, of Promising Young Woman. They, you know, they've won worthy awards for this. I mean, the first ten minutes yeah. of the Chicago Seven. How does he do that? How does he get all that ex- exposition out so fast, mm. so thoroughly, so efficient, and tell yeah. such a beautiful story? That's editing credit. That's screenplay credit. Where do you give it? A lot to analyze with this category of original screenplay. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. As you said, the trial of the Chicago 7 won the Globe for best screenplay, only one category at the Globes, but Promising Young Woman won Critics' Choice. And you would think those two would be the, the two frontrunners, and they are. If you look at the betting, the trial of the Chicago 7 is the favourite for this category at 8 to 13, which basically means you need to put £13 or dollars on to win eight, and you get your 13 and your eight back. But Promising Young Woman is right in behind, very close second favourite at six to five so the bookmakers have got these and and that's close mike in terms of betting like there's not much between them then you've got minari nine to one sound of metal 20 to one and the judas and the black messiah 20 to one so if you look at the awards that have been won so far and if you look at the betting it does look like a race between promising young woman and the trial of the chicago seven and it's a fascinating fascinating category because you think if the trial of the chicago seven wins this in in, uh, earlier in the night that's going to bolster its chances for best picture but hey what if promising young woman wins this category that's 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 going to be big mike i'm rooting for promising young woman i do think that's the best screenplay of the year for my money in my opinion i think you know i, I love kemp powers's work this year but mm. uh emerald fennell uh and promising young woman that movie hit with me now a lot of people have issues with that story uh yeah. for good reasons for reasons that i do respect People have been through a lot, and there's a lot of trigger warnings in that film, and there's certainly a central character involved with uh, with serious crimes uh, in that story and that storytelling. So you, it, it is a tough minefield for Emerald Fennell to walk. So I wonder if the polarization of the, the, re- the re- reception of Promising Young Woman matters there. Trial of Chicago 7, Aaron Sorkin, he's won this before. He's won adapted screenplay before, at least. And, you know, I just I wonder if a if a if Minari comes in here and rockets yeah. in. But here's the thing: like, this is where that editing discussion comes in, right? Promising mm. Young Woman is nominated for editing. That yeah. really matters in terms yeah. of the you know the Oscar puzzle theory that you play, in terms of the statistics when you research the history. So again, I'm probably doing terrible things to your wallet right now by giving you all these <laughs> possibilities, but I do, and, and you know, look, I mean, Judas and the Black Messiah, like I said, so the Sound of Metal. I mean, there are superlatives to each one yeah. of these nominees. I think this is one of the most worthy categories of the whole slate. It was a deep, deep field in terms of going yeah. like 13 deep, I think Mike and I said, that had legitimate chances to get nominated. So it's it's an impressive year for original scripts. Yeah, and the, the script is so important to a film, but also a thing that is vital and and totally necessary is the actors <laughs> without them you wouldn't have anything um so let's have a little look um at the acting categories and we'll start off with actor in a supporting role mike if you'd be so kind to give us the nominees Sasha Baron Cohen from The Trial of the Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya from Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. from One Night in Miami, Paul Racy from Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield from Judas and the Black Messiah. Wow. Um, and my first question to you, Mike, is Lakeith, what, what the hell's going on? Like, I, 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 I was watching these nominations live um, in the UK. Uh, it was about 12.30 here. I, I was... My jaw hit the floor. Like I, I'm pretty sure he wasn't campaigned in this category. Can you explain to our listeners what's happened? Because I myself don't really understand why he's in this category. So apparently you can be written in anywhere by the Academy, uh, wow. whether it's leader or supporting, even though he was campaigned in lead 
for his Bill, Bill O'Neill performance, I think, to kind of leave the way for Daniel Kaluuya, who seems to be winning this category, like you said. And I am pleasantly surprised as all hell that his beautiful acting in that film, I mean, Tom Hardy levels of of, of eye movement to mm. uh, Lakeith Stanfield's performance. I, I'm, I'm thrilled for him because he's been another MMO favorite again since Get Out, uh, since uh, Crown Heights, yeah. since Atlanta. And I, I'm thrilled that he gets the nomination here. But he was shocked. And Scott Feinberg from The Hollywood Reporter talked about, you know, he, he does it more eloquently than, uh, than I do with more know-how about how this happened. But I do think at the end of the day, this was the largest field of potential nominees that we had. Yeah. We had so many potential potential uh people that that were probably getting voted for that were sharing that fifth vote after chadwick bozeman kind of got vetoed because he's winning the other category so after that happens alan kim has a moment from minari and javid strathairn has always been in the in the conversation according to the pundits from nomadland and then we have an array of chicago seven and one night miami actors that are probably stealing votes from one another and going all the way down to the car to Ma Rainey's actors to uh, Frank uh, excuse me to uh Bo Burnham and Bill Murray and Jared Leto. Yeah. Jared Leto got vetoed a little bit. So again, it's such a deep field that if they're all sharing votes, a write-in vote can still have a chance. So I don't mm. think this is going to happen often with the Academy, but it did happen this year, which is just so exciting. <laughs> this was one of the you know the shocks of the day. And again, I probably should have mentioned it up top, but Lakeith Stanfield and supporting actor. Yeah, this was the one where I'm just like flipping my hat off. I can't believe it. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 a bizarre one, but look, I think it's a it's a well deserved nomination. It does strike the question of who's the lead in that film, but that's maybe a conversation for another day or a, a different podcast. What I would say is Kaluuya has won the Globe. Kaluuya has won the Critics' Choice. Kaluuya is the betting favourite. He's one to four, minus four hundred. Sasha Baron Cohen seven to two. Leslie Odom Jr. twelve to one. Paul Racy twenty to one, and the Keith Stanfield twenty to one. Daniel Kaluuya at one to four. Um, that's the kind of price, Mike, where you've got to bet four hundred pounds or dollars to win a hundred. It's the kind of remortgage the house kind of job. <laughs> And, and get it all on. Like, Daniel Kaluuya is winning this category. And let me tell you, he will be much shorter than one to four come Oscars night. So if you like backing short prices, which I don't, by the way, then remortgage the house. Don't remortgage the house. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that on this podcast. Gamble responsibly, I better say that. Um, But yeah, Daniel Kaluuya is the betting favourite, and rightly so. His performance was incredible. Um, In terms of incredible performances, we've got a number of those in Actress in a Supporting Role. Uh, The nominees for Actress in a Supporting Role are as follows. Maria Bakalova, Borat subsequent movie film. Oh boy, she's there. Glenn Close, Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Coleman, The Father, Amanda Seyfried, Mank, and Yu Jung Yoon, Minari. Um, this this category is causing me to have sleepless nights, Mike. <laughs> um, I am so troubled because this is the most open category of all of them in terms of betting. Like All of the prices are quite big because the bookmakers don't have a clue who the frontrunner is, who the hell's going to win. You know, you've got Glenn Close nominated for a Razzie and an Oscar. You would know, has anyone ever won a Razzie and an Oscar in the same year? Has that ever happened? 
I do not think so from film Twitter. Uh, Eric yeah. Anderson from Awards Watch, he, he threw the stat up there that nobody ever asked, will she become the first? I hope I hope not, man. Again, we, we said it at the top of the show. I want better for Glenn. I want her yeah. wit to win for something else. I mean, I'm pr- it's a testament to her stardom and to her abilities that she's even nominated here for carrying that movie on her Meemaw back, yeah. even though it's kind of silly <laughs> that she's nominated with the, this, you know, this spouting off of dualism, good people yeah. and bad people, good Terminators and bad Terminators. Yeah. You know, screw you. That's ridiculous. I mean, you know, I, I've had to deal with addiction in my life. I, I think uh, I think a lot of people have. And the last thing that works with them is just screaming at an addict and high-roading yeah. an addict. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding yeah. me? And, and that movie is spouting, uh, spouting at the mouth with that kind of – uh, it's just it's mm. insensitive. I, I take offense to it. I dislike that movie from start to finish. It's one of the few hate fests I've had this year. Yeah. Hillbilly Elegy. But in terms of who's going to win, I have no idea. Uh, we had G- Judy uh, Jody Foster win the Globe. We yeah. had Maria Bakalova yeah. win the Critics. What the hell is SAG going to do? Can, Ali- can Olivia Coleman beat Glenn Close again? Are they going to? I mean, it's a great performance. It might be my favorite from the father, man. I mean, I know Mike doesn't want to, Mike one does not want to believe that Olivia Coleman could beat Glenn Close again, but I just think her performance is, is, it's really strong. You never know. I'm, I'm with Mike one. And Mike one, if you are listening, I am with you. There is, there, I, I can't, I just can't, Mike, I cannot see a world in a multiple <laughs> universe theory. In none of those universes can Olivia Coleman beat Glenn Close again, um, which begs the question, who's going to win? But you, you, we touched upon it in the last category. Do you think, I mean, I've got a few potentials here that missed out. Was there any, not necessarily snubs for you, but were there any people that yeah. you thought um, maybe could have been nominated, should have been nominated? So many. I mean, Ellen Bernstein was the biggest for me personally. I thought she was incredible in Pieces of a Woman. Helena Zangle, after last year's System Crasher and this year's News of the World, that final scene, I thought she should have been there. Saoirse Ronan from Ammonite, some incredible uh, performing in that. Dominique Fishback was Mike's pick, and I agree with him. Judas and the Black Messiah, she gets the quiet scenes right. She gets the reaction shots right. I mean, she's an assist. I mean, she's given the other actors and assists in that film. I mean, so much to react to. So much. I mean, she's just an actor's actor in that film. And then Jodie Foster reminded me of the performance that Laura Dern won for last year. That lawyer's performance. That's sitting in a, yeah, sitting yeah. in a room and, and really t- white knuckling it with the Tahar Rahim performance, which is the really the big one that, that he hits. And I'm surprised that, you know he didn't get in. So I think the, the SAG is going to tell a tale. But what, you know, look if SAG if SAG picks Maria Bakalova, I. I think that is a huge show of support. That's two in yeah. a row. That's them recognizing the comic uh, improvisational styled performance. And that's going to be a huge confirmation of what the critics did for her. But if Yoon Ya-jung wins, wins from Minari, and I get it. I mean, that's such a charismatic performance. She's so yeah. funny. And then she pulls off what she pulls off the, the rest of the film, the back half of that film dramatically. So anybody but Glenn Close... That's that's where I'll land, but I tell you, I mean Amanda Seyfried, cool, sly. I mean she's my favorite. I went to college with her. I just I think oh, wow. I want I want to see her win. I mean I, we didn't know each other, but uh, and I you know I didn't know she, I, I barely knew she was there at the time, um, so I don't want to get soccerish vibes. She was on the other campus, but we, we were at the same <laughs> campus. The fact that I would name drop her now is repu- repugnant by me <laughs> just saying like I know her. Uh, oh my god, name dropping son of a yeah. Uh, so the. the 
I, I'm rooting for her though. She went yeah. to my alma mater, and I've loved her career. I, I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked at this point with this category. Anything can happen. Mm. No, you're absolutely right. This category is is mental. It's totally crazy. <laughs> I, I want to make it very, very clear on air. I love Glenn Close. I want Glenn Close to win an Oscar. Desperately, desperately. Yes. <laughs> but is it for me, Ma? No, surely not. Oh. Um, it, <laughs> you know, people listening to this podcast will probably have different opinions about this category. Um, but it is crazy. It is mental. And the betting reflects that. Maria Bakalova is 5-2, to two, but she's as short as even money in some places. The books on this are all over the place. Yoon Jung Yoon, Yoon Yoo Jung, sorry, is 5-2 to two as well. Glenn Close is 7-2. to two. Olivia Coleman is 9-1. to one, And Amanda Seyfried is 11-1. to one. So... The bookmakers have it between Bakalova and Yu Jung, but Glenn Close is incredibly close, excuse the pun, <laughs> in in the betting. And if you look on, on, on Odds Checker, you can actually see a graph that shows you how much money has been placed. And there is a lot of money for Glenn Close. And and trust me, m- pe- most, most of this money is, is smart money. And uh, this is a fascinating category. It's the category that's got the most value. It's the category that I'm probably going to end up doing my conkers on um, and losing... <laughs> losing a ton of money um but it's a fascinating category it's one that i'm going to be studying very very hard like you said jodie foster wins the golden globe for the mauritanian Bakalova wins the critics choice the sag is so important whoever wins the sag i think will probably go on to win the oscar um <laughs> maybe right i mean then again me, you got what BAFTA if amanda well. seafried yeah amanda yeah. seafried's not there and then we have bafta nominations and glenn close and olivia coleman and, and amanda seafried aren't there so like it's really yeah uh, who the heck knows man i mean this might be one that's just you get a different winner every week so I've, I, that's, yeah. that's my angel on the shoulder you're the devil in this situation on other people's <laughs> shoulders betting shoulders this is me angel yeah. on the shoulder say keep your money in your pocket man <laughs> yeah um <laughs> you're not what, listening crazy <laughs> <laughs> um, my mind's gone. I'm so, I just I just see dollars just in, and pounds signs in my head. It's crazy. Oh, I need help. Um, <laughs> I tell you what, though, uh, Mike, that is a that is a crazy, crazy category. But a category that's a little um, more. Well, I don't want to say a little more sewn up. I think it's completely sewn up, um, and it's actor in a leading role. Um, Mike, if you'd be so kind, could we have the nominees for actor in a leading role? Riz Ahmed from Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins from The Father, Gary Oldman from Mank, and Stephen Yun from Minari. Um, and I suppose my first question is, do you see Boseman sweeping here? Like, is this, you know, may rest in peace, what a phenomenal actor, firstly. Yes. And the things that he did off the screen in his personal life were incredible, an amazing man. Um, I'm rooting for him. Um, do you think he's going to sweep? Do you do you think there's any chance of him losing any of these precursors? He's already won the Globe and the Critics' Choice. Is Bozeman going to sweep? I think he should sweep. I think he will sweep. Is there a chance he will not? Yes, there's a chance, and that's a testament to the other performances in this category. Riz Ahmed took a lot of the critical love in the precursors. Mm. The Anthony Hopkins has gotten superlatives for the father. I, in particular, I think Gary Oldman's work in Mank is the best of his career, and Stephen Yun. Stephen Yun has has a type of performance that typically you know has won this award in the past. It's that understated performance. It's that you know 
again, white knuckling it as I, I just described it with uh, supporting actress Jodie Foster, Laura Dern. I mean, he's really doing subtle things with that performance. Now, Chadwick Boseman, in my opinion, is a top-level, top-tier performance that I think is better than the last three years of winners. You know, yeah. Again, no offense to Joaquin Phoenix and, and Rami Malek and, and Gary Oldman again, but I think – I would put him over those three in terms of since I've been you know covering it and yeah I would I would hope he wins it but you just you just never know I I do think it probably helps that there's not the confusion with supporting actor at this point yeah so I would expect him to keep going. I mean, me and my brother did uh, a deep dive and an analysis, a two-hour episode, believe it or not, on the acting categories. And we, yes. if you are interested in the acting categories, go back, take a listen to that. It's interesting to see. I think we, we were pretty close with our predictions. Um, just wanted to say um, Chadwick Boseman has, has three moments in that film, three big key moments, and the performance he gives is extraordinary. It's it's not only an, an Oscar nomination every year in recent years. I think it's a win. As you said, I, I loved Joaquin Phoenix, wasn't so hot on Rami Malek, and Gary Oldman as Churchill. I had some issues with that. But for me as well, Gary Oldman here, this is his best work. Like yeah. I said on the main podcast, drunk acting is incredibly hard. And to yeah. to to get that right throughout the whole film um, was absolutely tremendous. Anthony Hopkins, obviously, uh, you know, one of the greats. Riz Ahmed is well in there, and Stephen Yeun. Um, in terms of, I don't want to call it a a snub because it was somewhat expected, but there is a campaign going, and yeah. that is about Delroy Lindo. Mike, what did you make of Delroy Lindo's performance and what do you think about him missing here? Because when I saw The Five Bloods back in the spring of last year, I made a note in my in my little notepad, my little film notepad, and it just said Delroy Lindo Oscar. Yeah. That's that's the note that I made. I remember making it. I'm surprised. Well, I'm not surprised because I saw it coming, but what are your thoughts on the Delroy Lindo situation? Yeah, I saw it coming too. Uh, like you, I think... Uh... I, I gravitate to performances like this one. In previous years, they come in horror movies, and I, I do think there's parallels, obvious parallels to this film, To Five Bloods, where you know Tony Collette in 2017, Lupita Nyong'o from Us in, in 2018, uh, or 2019, excuse me. Anyway, I'm getting my years confused, but I do th- each of the years I've been covering this, or two, or three out of the four, anyway. Uh, just it, this is two hour podcasting right here, right here, folks. <laughs> I need them. I ran out of caffeine. No, I, I think this is the loud, muscular performance where the character yeah. requires you go to eleven, and you got to hit the high notes, as Al Pacino likes to say. If you can, if you can uh, hit the high notes, sing loud, and we have. Delroy Lindo singing loud in that performance. We also have Chadwick Boseman singing loud in his performance. I think he goes to 11 on a 1 to 10 scale several times in Ma Rainey. So now we have... We have two of those performances that are that muscular this year, and unfortunately, Delroy Lindo lost out to the subtle performances in Riz Ahmed and Stephen Young, for that matter. And then, you know, you just got huge names in this category. So it, it, he is the odd man out, and it is sad, and it is expected. We predicted it, unfortunately. And, um, yeah, total uh, the definition of a snub this year. Yeah, uh, and just to round off this category, the the betting's very very interesting. Chadwick Boseman is one to eight or minus eight hundred, very Ooh. short price, but he's he is as short as one to twenty. Um, 
like so according to the bookmakers this category is sewn up Anthony Done. Hopkins is 8 to 1 second favorite Riz Ahmed 14 to 1 Gary Oldman 25 to 1 and Stephen Yuen 25 to 1 so according to the bookmakers this is sewn up 1 to 8 again very very short price um but on the record I you know I hope Chadwick Boseman wins that category um another category full of I think maybe the strongest category um full mm. of Quite tremendous. Well, I mean, any Oscar nomination is usually a good performance, but this category is really, really strong, and that's actress in a leading role. Um, the nominees are Viola Davis, Mulroney's Black Bottom, Andra Day, The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand, Nomadland, and Kerry Mulligan, Promising Young Woman. Um, my analysis on this category, it, it looks a solid five. And I had I had four. Um, I was missing Andra Day. Um, mm-hmm. I had four sort of not locks but predictions that looked pretty solid that got in. And then Andra Day took that fifth spot after the Golden Globe win. Um, what are your thoughts mm. on this category, Mike? It's hot, isn't it? It's a good category. It's incredible. If you told me this minute that uh, any one of these actresses would win, I would applaud them and say it's it's a worthy performance. Yeah. It is the most loaded category on the year because I do think it goes 10, 15 deep of great performances, all the way from Carrie Coon and uh, Ye Rihan from Minari, Sophia Loren, Rada Blank, Sidney Flanagan, Michelle Pfeiffer, Zendaya, Zendaya, excuse me. I mean, you can go deep into this category and people yeah. got snubbed because they, again, there's so many great actress performances. Now, I think the the people here should have been here and they kind of kind of worked their way through award season and we did have a vetting done. We had the critics go against Zendaya. We had mm. Michelle Pfeiffer just not get seen in French exit. Yeah. We had issues blowback for to Sydney Flanagan's performance. Rada Blank got the BAFTA, but then, you know, just not too little too late. So these five have been the most nominated five by the resumes. Yeah. They deserve to be here. And now we have a battle royale. We have huge names. We have great performances. We have perhaps the most interesting category to talk about going forward. And I don't know how you I don't even know how I rank these five performances, David, because they're so good. They're so close. Yeah. I really need to study the, the this these five movies again and really dissect it because you you can make any argument for me. Yeah, I mean, fascinating. Uh, do you know what? All of the performances are incredible. I think the one that hit me hardest, and I'll keep it brief, was Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of a Woman yeah. on first watch. That opening 30-minute sequence in that film is some of the most powerful cinema I've seen this year. Um, but but do you know what? The other performances, Viola Davis is... is empowering in that movie and 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 quite funny at times and so such a strong <laughs> yes. woman um andra day like we reviewed the united states versus billy holiday recently um mm-hmm. i thought there were issues with that film as an overall piece sure. um particularly in the editing area there was a lot of fading to black and it was it was strange um mm-hmm. but andra day her performance in that obviously winning the uh award that she did um the golden globe um very commendable. But then you've got Carrie Mulligan, who won Critics' Choice. In terms of the betting, Carrie Mulligan is, I, I wrote, wrote it down wrong in my notes, she's actually the even money favourite. Um, hmm. And then Andra Day is 7-2. to two. Francis McDormand is 9-2. to two. Viola Davis is 12-1. to one, And Vanessa Kirby is 12-1. to one. Very briefly, Viola Davis, I've been following these betting lines for many, many months, Mike. And hmm. Viola Davis was initially the favourite. She was considered wow. the front runner. 
um, and she's drifted like a fart in the breeze. Um, <laughs> she's just, <laughs> she's just, you know, th- th- in terms of the betting, there's not much momentum behind her at the moment. The favourite is Kerry Mulligan. I don't know what you think about that. Is she your favourite? Is that the is that the position you would have had her? My guess is that she's going to impress us more upon further study because she's doing yeah. very subtle things. It's it's next level acting. And I'm I'm very impressed with her. Obviously, I think the rewatches are everything again, I think it's obvious. Now, Andre Day, uh, like you said, with Vanessa Kirby, I think that's a first time watch yeah. impression that, that hits you hard. And it's just so obviously she's you know, Andre Day's going to eleven in that performance, like I said, with the actors, and she's hitting those high notes. And she's such a She's such a, a beautiful singer that she's pulling off mm. oh, the wow, voice yeah. acting. She's pulling off. I mean, she comes from, you know, winning Grammys and a music career. So the fact that she's singing like Billie Holiday in this movie is just it's, it's like, you know, Taron Egerton from from Rocketman and and unlike Rami Malek from, you know, the lip syncing yeah, championship yeah. of the world in Bo, in Bo <laughs> So, look, I mean, Frances McDormand's won two already. What's the impetus to give her a third for this particular movie? Is this yeah. where you give her credit? Viola Davis, like you say, it's, it's a bit stagnant right now. Ma Rainey's losing momentum, unfortunately. Are you going to give the lead performances to both uh, both performances in that film? And Vanessa Kirby, she's so young. Is she, is, does, does she get it here? Carrie Mulligan's paid more dues, and, and this yes. is the only nomination for Pieces of the Woman. Uh, this is the only nomination for the United States versus Billie Holiday. That tends to matter with these uh, Academy, with the largest branch in the Academy, uh, the actors branch. So I don't know. Yeah, an absolutely fascinating category. I, I would, it's pretty wide open. It's pretty wide yeah. open. Anyone could win. Um, I mean, it's going to be brilliant to keep following that category. The next category is a little bit, I'd, again, for me, this is the biggest slam dunk of the of the whole card, um, and mm-hmm. it's best director. Uh, we'll get on to who I think will win, um, but Mike, could we have the nominees for best director? Yes, Thomas uh, Winterberg from Another Round, uh, David Fincher from Mank, Lee Isaac Chung from Minari, uh, Chloe Zha from Nomadland, and Emerald Fennel from Promising Young Woman. I, I mixed up my pronunciations a little bit, so I hope I'm getting them right. But no, I don't don't know. worry about it, man. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's all good. Uh, first, my first reaction, um, obviously two, two, I mentioned at the start of the show, two women nominated in, in this category. We've, we've got to be pleased about that, Mike. That's progressive. That's good stuff. I think women made the best movies of the year, yeah. uh, you know, other than Soul, in my opinion. I, I have uh, female-led films uh, atop my car. Promising Young Woman was a favorite of mine, so I'm all about it here. And, yeah, Chloe Zhao from Nomadland, uh, perhaps the most emotional movie-going experience ever, even though she her directing is so masculine. I mean, if, yes. to me, it feels like a best director not every year, even though this is such a boys' club in the past. So absolutely, let's... Uh, uh, let's big up the female-directed films this particular year, but also the improvement in the industry to get more women-led projects made and making money and, mm. yeah, nominated. We didn't get the three, though. No Regina King. Um, mm. What did you make of that? That was, again, One Night in Miami seems to have lost that little bit of momentum. Regina King doesn't get in here. 
She's such an actor's director. She staged that yeah. film so beautifully, as Wesley Morris said on The Ringer recently. And I just nodded. I had huge, like, big Ron Burgundy gif nods out of my head <laughs> when uh, when he said that. And I, I, I agree. I think the, the blocking of that movie to make that cha- chamber piece, to make those arguments so electric, I mean, that's all her directing. Uh, and, yes, it, it's on the script, but it's it, a lot of it's her directing there. And the fact that she directs the spectacles early on in the film and later in the film, it makes sense as well. I just had an issue with like 15, 20 minutes of that movie where the narrative momentum grinds to a halt in One Night in Miami. So it did not feel like an Oscars nominated pacing to me. And maybe that's, you know, maybe my, you know, one of my favorite scripts, maybe that's a Kemp Powers issue. Maybe that's a Regina Mm -hmm. King issue. It's not necessarily a debut for her, but I do think, you know, because she's worked so well and so long on the TV side. I'm a I'm a little surprised that that movie lost momentum because of its third act because of how well that movie yeah. works after the lull. But I, I I get it at the end of the day because it's a composition award and there's a hole in the composition in my opinion. Still, it's unfortunate. And then no Aaron Sorkin, you know. I just think I think that movie had structural issues, and that's why I don't want it. I don't want the Trial of the Chicago Seven to win for screenplay. Yeah. I don't want it to win for directing. That's just my opinion. Structural issues. I still like the movie. I'm still a Sorkinite. I still, you know. So again, I I think the industry somehow agreed with me. I can't believe it. I've been yelling about that movie for for months. Not <laughs> not against the movie, but as a best picture, as a best director, and as a best original screenplay. I guess uh, even though it did get nominated there, but you know, the, like I said, the highs of that movie are. Very very high. Great scenes, great finale, yeah. great, uh, great opening. I mean, just screenwriting ma- masterwork for certain scenes of that film. But again, composition awards. Where do they go? Where do you give credit? Are you showering Chloe Zha? I think you are this one. But uh, you know, down the card, this is an interesting debate to have. How much do you give her? I don't yeah. know. It's really interesting. You say how much do you give Chloe Zhao? She, you know, she could potentially win four Oscars. Um, and Amazing. I think what, what's the statistic? The first person since is it Walt Disney? Am I right about that? As far as I know, Walt Disney, because of the technicality last year with uh, Jun Ho Bong, he does not get credit for all four. The International Film Oscar actually goes not to the producers, but to the country yeah. of South Korea. Go figure. Wow, that's yeah, but Chloe Zhao on the night could win four Oscars. As far as I'm concerned, um, Zhao is winning director. Um, me and Andrew Morgan from the Nomcast did a, an mm-hmm. analysis of the director category. We were we were pretty close. Um, again, if you're interested to know more about the directors, have a listen to that. But Chloe Zhao is the one to six betting favorite. David Fincher seven to one. Lee Isaac Chung twelve to one. Emerald Fennell twenty to one. And for some reason, Thomas Vinterberg. There are no odds on him. So it's it's the most bizarre thing. Like I've looked on various websites, none of them have odds on him. It's almost like he's not there. Sorry about that, Mr. Vintenberg. Um Mike, this brings us on to the biggie, the big one. The most <laughs> important the big one. <laughs> the big one of the night, and uh it's been a long one. <laughs> but it is best picture. Uh, and the nominees are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah. Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, The Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Um, I suppose the first thing to to touch upon here, Mike, would be the snubs. Uh, no Ma Rainey and no One Night in Miami. Um, we've touched upon it um, in on the undercard about them losing momentum. What's your thoughts about them being snubbed here, if you don't mind? S- 
So, uh, you know, Ryan McQuaid came on MMO from In Session Film, Awards Watch, etc., and he talked about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom being a performance piece at the end of the day, which typically these adaptations of plays, these these chamber pieces, tend to be on Oscar nomination Mondays, right? So yeah. it does make some sense when you go all the way back. Now, that being said, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom performed pretty well in the precursors, or at least with uh, the Critics' Choice at the end of the day, uh, and I kind of figured that the Producers Guild was for it and the critics were for it, and it kind of had that nexus of industry and critical support where you thought it would do better. Uh, unfortunately, the BAFTA miss and the the Golden Globes miss was, mm. was telling. It was the story. It told the story. Now, I thought we were getting eight nominees. I did not credit in, on my list, the ninth and Ted spots, which were the father and Judas and the Black Messiah, I had Ma Rainey and One Night in Miami here, so I was off six out of the eight. But I thought it would be eight at the end of the day because I thought, you know, I just thought that was the, how the vote was going to go this year. I didn't yeah. think there was going to be enough voting. I thought there was a lot of movies in contention. Typically, when that happens, it's eight, right? I mean, you had more snubs down the card that got BG, PGA, like Borat too. I mean, One Night in Miami's there, but you also had down to you know WGA Palm Springs. You down yeah. the card, you had more contenders, like with supporting actor, that would allow for you know, less votes to get you in, I would say, even though I, I know there's a threshold, but they barely meet the threshold they can get in. Next year, it's yeah. going to be a flat 10. It's going to be a whole different ball game. But this year, it, it, eight made sense to me. Yeah, fascinating. I, I I didn't make a list personally, but I was very, very nervous listening to these come in. I'm, I'm financially rooting for <laughs> Ju- Judas <laughs> and the Black Messiah like I'm 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 hoping and fingers crossed that causes a big shock at the PGA and goes on to win the Oscar if it does you will not hear the end of it on my Twitter page I can assure you um but no in terms of these eight I was I was pretty satisfied if I could put two more in for around 10 I would put in Ma Rainey and I would put in Soul um, they would be the two yeah. that I would that I would put in. Um, I mean, Nomadland won the Golden Globe for Best Picture Drama, and it won the Critics' Choice. But the Trial of the Chicago Seven won Best Ensemble at the Critics' Choice, um, and this is important. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 really really interesting. Very very briefly, the betting odds: Nomadland is the one to three minus three hundred favorite. The Trial of the Chicago Seven is second favorite, currently best price eight to one. Then you've got Minari twelve to one, Promising Young Woman sixteen to one, Mank twenty five to one, Judas and the Black Messiah fingers crossed twenty five to one, Sound of Metal a hundred to one, and The Father a hundred to one. Very very interesting betting market and. And let me tell you, I've studied the betting markets over the last two two Oscars. And mm-hmm. at this point in the race, Nomadland is shorter than other films that have been favourite. Films wow. normally at this point might be even money, maybe five to four. This is one to three. This is a heavy, strong favourite early in the race. And if I'm right, Mike, that's because it just keeps winning. It just keeps winning with the critics. It is now going on to get all the nominations, checking all the boxes wherever yeah. it could with the guilds and with the industry. Now, Nomadland is ineligible at the Writers Guild. Yeah. It, we're gonna we're gonna find out with the Producers Guild, but it is ineligible. Many would say, or at least it was you know counted out of Best Ensemble with the Screen Actors Guild because she is employing so many non SAG non actors yeah. from Swanky to uh, the man who ran the. Uh, 
the the oh my I'm forgetting it, but Bob Wells. I, I love Bob Wells <laughs> in that movie. And you know, I read the book and and all those same yeah. characters from the book that the investigative journalists met along the way, they're in the movie, which is just it's just incredible. So I you know the Nomad Land's got the narrative, Nomad Land's got the production story uh, that that behind the scenes that make you want to just love it, and it's got the emotional wallop. And I do think those things make it a safer pick at this moment. I do think it's resume looks like a runaway uh, and the fact that we got so many other films kind of vying for who's the next best contender especially yeah. in a year where you know trial of chicago 7 as an acquisition as you know politically tricky film to pick because it's about issues that matter to society right now but it's from the 40 year old white guy's perspective and, and you know <laughs> should we have that perspective again I, yeah. i've been yeah. on the soapbox for should we have that you know, authoritative perspective at the end of the day. It just seems like it seems like an uphill battle for it, I would just say. Even if you think yeah. the movie's the best of the year, Judas and the Black Messiah tells that story from the more high stakes perspective. Full stop. So I look, I mean, I think I think a, a promising young woman with that editing show, Minari has strength down the card. Uh, those movies to me feel like the type that the Academy would go for. And I was proved right based on the nominations. But at the end of the day, I do think Nomad lands that preferential ballot juggernaut and, and it's yeah. going to get a lot of number ones. Uh, it just makes sense to me. Uh, now, do I want to proclaim it's going to win here? Not necessarily. I think this race could could definitely shift as we're as we're about to say with PGA and with those obvious lapses in the uh, you know in, at the Writers Guild, like I said. So we'll see. So there you have it, folks. I think Mike's given us a fantastic rundown there of, of all the films, all their chances. But at the moment, Nomadland is definitely the favourite and the one to beat. But the race has only just begun. Um, I just want to say thank you very much for joining us on Road to the Oscars episode four. Mike, I've got to say I'm a huge fan of the show. It's been an absolute privilege to have you on my show. Well, I'm a new fan of your show, Is It Worth It? and Road to the Oscars. I've been listening. I've been enjoying it. Uh, Craig does a phenomenal job as your co-host, as your, as your producer. So shout out to Craig there. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Invite me back. And we've got to have you guys on Mike, Mike, and Oscar down the line. Uh, we'll make that happen this year for certain. That's absolutely fantastic. And Mike, please remind our lovely listeners where they can find your podcast. Yeah, Mike, Mike, and Oscar is available on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, hopefully wherever you guys get your podcasts and rate, review, Mike, Mike, and Oscar, but rate and review, is it worth it? Five stars yeah. as well, guys. It deser- it's deserving. Patreon them and certainly, uh, and certainly give them that five star smash it. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate it. And tell our listeners where you can be found on the social media platforms. Yeah, we're Mike, Mike, and Oscar, A-N-D, Oscar, O-S-C-A-R, on Instagram, Facebook, Reddit, and at Gmail. Email us, talk to us. Our DMs are open on Twitter as well, where we are at M-M-A-N-D, A-N, uh, where we are at M-M and Oscar, excuse me. And, uh, and yeah, we're most active on Twitter, but, uh, yeah, get at us on social media. Like I said, MikeMikeAndOscar.com, coming soon, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, built, I built most of it. Now we just got to get some, you know, finer touches. 
I'm really, really excited for that website. Can't wait for that. Uh, and you can find us, uh, Is It Worth It, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Is It Worth It, the film review podcast. You can also email the show at mymailisworthit at isitworthitpodcast.com. That email address, again, is mymailisworthit at isitworthitpodcast.com. Oh, I'm so glad I got that right, Mike. At the end of every show, I always get the email wrong, and our outros are always a shambles. This has been a very good outro. Mike, it has been a pleasure. Uh, thank thank you, you, dear listener, for tuning in, and make sure you listen out for our next edition of Road to the Oscars. He's been also Mike. He's been David Long. And this has been Road to the Oscars. <laughs> Cheers, Mike. It's been an honour. Cheers.